everybody. Welcome to the show. Um, well, as you can judge by the title, you've no doubt already seen what we've posted. Uh, and in lieu of the usual intro, uh, I have Sam here, and I would like to ask, what the hell did you do? <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 I saw this moon, and I was like, there are too many people there. So I, I did a thing. <laughs> oh, God, did you ever. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, oh Christ on a bike. Right, our new story, I believe in myself, has just released a couple days ago, and hopefully all of you have read it. And I I adore doing lore casts with Sam. Uh, picking his brain is pretty much one of my favorite things to do on this show. And, of course, the probably most significant story we've released so far kind of warrants a cast on its own. So let's start there. This is pretty much the most revealing piece of lore that we've released as of yet, as it pertains to the events that lead to the game. Can you give a little insight on, let's start with, I guess, the framing. Can you talk about the framing? Why set it from Arch Claudius's perspective? Well, this, honestly, this short story is the one that I've wanted to tell from the get-go, basically before we decided that we were going to incentivize short stories. It was like, we need something from the perspective of someone who is right there at the center of things, and from the perspective of someone who honestly has perhaps been mischaracterized by, uh, by myself even, and the community, you know, because, you know, people look at it and think, hey, you know, this guy, he rules over the, you know, northern hemisphere of the moon, so he's probably bad. But it's like, no, 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 he he's not bad. You know, I'd, I'd like to say that not everyone is bad or that even such a thing exists when you, you know, create these uh, stories, you know. But I think that he is big. That's the, that's the critical thing. And, uh, you know, to tell the story of the, you know, the most, uh, oh impactful events that that was always hugely enticing and just to you take a little sliver of his life and you lay it out there and you have something amazing right there you know you have you know something that just gets you directly into the center of uh, the lore of Eberstord you know the things that people talk about the most so I basically said hey let's do this let's like we're not going to, you know, be around the bush, you know, we're not going to do the butterfly effect, you know, <laughs> approach that we did with the first short story, which was uh, The Ways of Parting. We're going to go straight for the juicy part of this. And, you know, here we are. <laughs> it is I very on-brand that it's so character-centric. I mean, I, I've repeatedly said on the podcast that you start character first, and then you create narratives around those. And it's interesting that you would say... You know, he's not bad. Um, fact of the matter is, nobody... The best villains, and I'm not saying he is one, but the best villains are always the, the heroes of their own story. And the, the best characters, by ex extension of that train of thought, are always motivated by their own belief in themselves. See what I did there? <laughs> I'm yeah. the title. Ah. It just... It really... It's awesome to see where he's coming from and who knows where he's going to head in the future, right? But we just we know where his perspective stems from, which is um, 
development with his ambition with his clashes with his mentors and the system around him it's so many directions you can take this in it's awesome yeah yeah th that's the thing is uh you know he he has uh, a, a damaged upbringing you know and he has been shaped into somewhat of a right-wing fellow you know because of that upbringing but you know it's nature versus nurture and he was always going to you know have these preconceived notions going into things and you know with the arrival of Starjan, you know we saw how things worked out and uh you know he's vindicated and uh yeah that that was really th at the heart of it that was the crux of it well speaking of Starjan's arrival that sort of the escalation is very <laughs> space battle <laughs> I, I can't really think of any analogous word or phrase to to call it but this is this is for lack of a better word a very high-tech story right the culture and sophistication we see in it seem drastically different from what we've seen from Ember Sword thus far with you know the spaceships and the holograms and everything being very not JJ Abramsy Star Trek but it feels very clean and organized yeah. why is that you don't see any lens flare, you know, in my story. I, I didn't describe that. <laughs> I can picture him, though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, people. <laughs> You're blinded in your minds. Uh, why did I go that route? Uh, well, uh, this was always the intention that uh, the setting at one point was very high-tech and polished and really, you know, the idealistic American space age, you know, that was mm -hmm. uh, prompted in the 1950s. And this was something that uh, Sage and I were on the same page with all the way along. And, you know, I think that he has plans to kind of uh, illustrate that a bit. But it is definitely not what we see in present Ember Sword. I mean, what you see in Ember Sword is essentially the fossils of this beautiful uh, space age. So I really wanted to... Uh, uh, I wanted to elaborate on that with a story that uh, this is almost like an entirely different world from there to here, you know. And uh, with the catastrophe, you see, like, just, like, you, you see the fresh wounds, uh, Ember Swords, uh, like the time frame that takes place uh, over, what is it, 200 years later? Uh, yeah, the, you see, you know, the scars of it, but you don't actually see the blood. It like to, you know, put it uh, in those terms. So that mm -hmm. that that's, uh, you know, that's uh, like why we wanted to go that route was well, well, why I did. I'm not gonna pre pretend like there's someone else in <laughs> there, but uh, yeah, that that's why uh, uh, I did it without a ghostwriter, and uh, yeah, we uh, <coughs> I <Sure>. sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Basically, uh, that contrast also, you know, shows how different uh, things are and how far we fell. You know, it, it adds, you know, extra breadth to the catastrophe. Was your inspiration in terms of, you mentioned classic American Space Age. Were you thinking original Star Trek, that type of mentality behind, you know, the, the space exploration aspect of the story or the world that in, in at large in general i was actually thinking about uh, the idealistic uh, space age uh, fiction that uh, 
what you'd see on the cover of uh, of books or you know on posters, which are like, this is where we could be in fifteen years. And basically, what Americans pretended like we had, which we never did. You know, if people think that you know the United States had plastic houses that uh, you know with the you know pinup wives and all that you know you are gravely mistaken that's what we wanted you to think you know <laughs> russians out there sorry to disappoint <laughs> you know we weren't that great no it, it, basically that's my approach you know uh, the the illustrations you know the abstract ones the high contrast uh, you know with very few colors that is i i actually did not think about Star Trek at all. It, it did not cross my mind once, uh, or Star Wars or anything of that matter. It was actually just those uh, mm -hmm. still standing uh, frames. I, I mentioned it because you said idealistic, and I, when I hear idealistic in space, I always think the mentality behind uh, the original Star Trek series. I mean, right up until recently when you know Star Trek Discovery went off the deep end into dog shit. <laughs> Pardon my French. <laughs> But yeah, I, I've always envisioned, uh, you know, space idealism being this idea that, you know, we, we've put aside our differences and we want to see what's out there, not to conquer the stars, but to learn and explore. So I was curious whether that was an influence going into this. Yeah, it, it was uh, basically the naivety of, hey, we just launched a rocket. Imagine... Imagine a, a base on Pluto, <laughs> you know, like as far out as possible. The space realism, however, is a 90-year-old man who just went up into space three, for three minutes who was starring on Star Trek. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we'll get there one day, I hope, with, you know, less billionaire PP measuring. Well, hopefully we'll get to there. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that is way off course. Haha, <laughs> space reference again. Um, yeah. Going back to the story, there are technically three of the capitals in, in the story itself in the form of Skyder, Anchorage, Burkhalter's Academy with Apsis Observatory, and Starscape flying overhead. Why do you hate Duskeron? I don't like sand. <laughs> it's cold and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. <laughs> um, I... I, I'm sorry, I did not uh, have a... I did not have room or reason to go to Duskeron because, you know, I mean, what are you going to do with Duskeron at this point? You know, it's a, it, it's it's basically Arizona before the Wild West. It, it's kind of like going to Tucson without having any relatives there. No, not no, having a no. Good time. <laughs> no, it, it, basically, Duskeron did not have a role in this one, but don't worry, I have more things planned out Uh for uh you know our little sandy neighbors down there you know uh, they're like we have uh, some uh, really cool stories about what happens after the catastrophe otherwise you know it's basically the story of how people would walk on a road you know across the desert and or you know it, it's kind of up there with uh, watching paint dry it, it's you know that that's how i describe you know the uh the like the mystique of Duskron at that point. Sorry. <laughs> Whatever you say now to defend yourself is going to be a moot point because every Dusker has clicked off the podcast and is sending me and you personal death threats. Hey, hey, it's, it's okay. It's okay. I, I just, I kind of like ravaged Ediso for you guys, so you're welcome. <laughs> That's the balance. It's all about subtext. Yeah. It's not about them winning, it's the others losing. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which ironically is, is the cornerstone of Bulgarian mentality. We're insulting everybody at this point. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Duskaron didn't really have any... It, it was important to mention this, right? Because there's major representation for pretty much everybody. But, you know, understand that narratively Duskaron didn't really have a place in the story quite yet or this particular story. Yeah. Still, I... There's something about the framing that really... I really, really enjoy. We, we talked about this off mic, but I very much lean towards fiction that is exploratory of character. That's very vaguely put, but I was envisioning a web serial called Worm, which this for some reason reminded me of, if only because, you know, uh, the, <laughs> the realistic way some situations are handled, and we'll get to that, but the crux of, of my idea was that this story doesn't necessarily pull any punches when it comes to its character's worldview. It, it doesn't really fit the mold of what we've presented of Ember Sword to a certain extent, right? Because Ember Sword on the surface is this very bright and cheerful world. How, and this might be a, a decently loaded question, but do you think this might create some type of ludonarrative dissonance where people are expecting one thing from the game and you know, they delve deeper into the lore and they get something else. I I think that the best way to describe it is you pick up a Don Bluth movie and you are expecting a very cheerful little thing when actually what you're doing is introducing your four-year-old to the real world for the first time, you know, mm -hmm. concepts of death and whatnot. And I'm not saying that Ember Sword is for four-year-olds. Please don't. <laughs> no, um, no, but uh, I think that's important to, you know, be able to tell how you got somewhere. Basically, how did those dinosaur fossils get there? Because, mm -hmm. you know, they, you know, they, they didn't just uh, happen on their own. They're, they used to be creatures and, you know, you think about what I've described uh, over the past three years for, you know, the catastrophe, and uh, it is an apocalyptic event, and, you know, that, that begins with the arrival of Starjin, who, uh, you know, is a, an entity far beyond our comprehension, really. Even after we helped, uh, like, destroy him, you know, he, like, we still don't understand his design, and he arrives at... It's like, uh, you know, the wailing of an angel, you know, piercing everywhere. There's nowhere you could hide, and it's horrifying. And, and <clears throat> that's really how you could expect something to play out when you're encountering a being who is living on another uh, field of ex existence. And, uh, and, you know, this is, as I said, you know, a personal story for Arch Claudius. And uh, what he experienced, uh, you know, he saw... He saw Starjin's death, and uh, and Starjin, you know, you you can uh, qualify him as being a a god, you know, like or something like that, uh, or something detached. Because when you say god, you think of something ethereal and so far removed from yourself that you don't feel any empathy. When in actuality, you know, Starjin does exist in this world, and he, you know. He is a being, you know, with uh, essentially a soul. He's, you know, and uh, what the catastrophe means for him is, you know, he, like 
the entire annihilation of his body, you know, of uh, every of his consciousness, everything right there. That is a lot of bloodshed at the baseline, and you mm -hmm. know, with something so cataclysmic, things will rain down, and it will get very sticky very fast. And I think that is uh, why it's important to edify it, because uh, you know, until now we've described it, and I think that people may have thought of it in more of terms of uh, magic or the rapture or something of that nature, you know? It, mm -hmm. But, no, it, uh, basically, how would something like this play out? How would you see a, an extinction-level event, and what would you see? And, and uh, it, it's, uh, it, you know, I think that we all enjoy the setting of Ember Sword, but how you get there is more complicated than just saying, boom, you know, and that everything mm -hmm. was different. You know, it, it did happen very quick, but it was still, you know, it, it was still a hefty pill to swallow for Thanabus. The, man, that's that's incredibly, incredibly well put. Because it's it essentially means that you can engage, and I'm pretty sure we've touched upon this before, you can engage with Emberstore's narrative on multiple levels once the game launches. There will be... A setting that is inclusive to pretty much everybody right the gameplay is going to be and the story by extension are going to be very accessible uh but that does not mean that the world is you know as wide as an ocean and as deep as a puddle uh once you delve underneath the surface there is an incredibly deep narrative that you can engage in at your own leisure and however much you want and it does touch upon some very you know real topics but they're handled in a way where everybody can you know engage with it and you know pretty much everybody except four-year-olds we we're banning four-year-olds <laughs> yeah. yes uh, please don't play this game <laughs> <laughs> and we can they can you know get something very meaningful out of it without you know being scarred for life <laughs> yeah <clears throat> And, uh, you know, the way this, this is just how I am from a narrative perspective, I will tell the best, the best story possible. And, uh, to do that, you know, I just, I need the means to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and how do I put this? Uh, I, I, I won't uh, pull any punches, but I also won't be gr gratuitous. I won't mm -hmm. describe things that you wouldn't see in such a setting. You know, this is essentially like uh, what you'd see with, uh, like, uh, a, a super volcano erupting. I, I think that would be the best, uh, you know, the closest event, you know, <clears throat> because we haven't seen uh, an apocalyptic uh, uh, <clears throat> comic, uh, comet within our lifetimes. So I basically, I use a frame of reference, I go from there, and it's just for telling the best story. It's not for being a teenage ed edgelord. Of course. It's not, what we're trying to illustrate here is that everything in the Ember narrative has a purpose. Uh, and it's not going to be, you know, frivolous or gratuitous for its own sake. Everything is going to be in service to the development of the plot at large. Yeah, there are stories you know you you can't uh, tell through a video game just because you know that like yeah you'd rob players of their autonomy in the game and the best way medium for that is actually sometimes a short story a, a TV series or not to uh, you know basically exercise the medium to the best of your ability and that that's why I follow. 
What I got out of this is that the Ember Sword TV series is confirmed. Thank you, Mr. Hollywood. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I'm not cutting this like at all. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> People are going to run wild. Hell, they might even pitch it on our behalf. My agent calls. What did you just promise them? That's <laughs> Betlin. <laughs> <laughs> he does that. Hey, the, the question is not what did you promise them? It's how are you going to deliver on it? Yeah. <laughs> Onwards and upwards. Another space reference. Uh, well, this is pretty much all of the questions I had about the story. Um, would you like to add anything before we wrap up? Uh, I was thinking about basically stealing your bit about, uh, hey, let, let's hear theories. But you know what? <laughs> I, I guess uh, if we get went too far into you know the little details of the story, then you know I would just be robbing you all of the. Uh, uh, opportunity to you know s stay hungry you know <laughs> so uh, no uh, play the game and uh, keep reading my upcoming stories as well and uh, and whatever else uh, i come up with awesome well that is everything we had for you today uh thank yeah, you sam I, for participating yeah, in the cast my pleasure like this entire time uh, my stupid cat was like gnawing on <laughs> my foot and the, so i think i did pretty well you know all things considered <laughs> You're a trooper. You're getting to be a veteran of this. Of course, Sam will return for many future casts. We have something very special lined up in the near future for you guys in terms of uh, picking the brain of some of our resident creatives on the team. And that is as much as I will tease. So thank you once again, Sam. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Hey, you. You made it to the end. Congratulations. That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news. We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PlayEmbersword for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword. <laughs>